The Old Testament reading for this, the first Sunday in Lent, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the book of Genesis, the 22nd chapter. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, The epistle reading comes from the letter of St. James, the first chapter. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Rise for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Mark, the first chapter. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible, as most people know, has many amazing accounts in it histories of great victories, miraculous healings powerful acts of God. It recounts to us so many times how God spoke, moved, and acted through the prophets, the apostles, and regular people to change the world. Even those who don't believe in the Bible as the word of God, they praise it as a collection of moralistic and uplifting stories. And indeed, much of the Bible is very uplifting. But not all of it. If not for sin, the world would be a wonderful and perfect place with no trials or tears, no problems or pain. But there is sin. And because of that, the world can be a very dark place. This is a fact that the Bible does not try to gloss over. So many man-made religions claim that there is no right and wrong. They try to pretend that everything's great as long as you do whatever you want to do, or that you believe what they teach, nothing bad is going to happen to you. But the Bible is truth. And the truth is that, because of sin, this world can be a very evil, horrible, wicked place, filled with torment, suffering, and trauma. And so the Bible shows us these things clearly. And in today's Old Testament reading... We have a prime example of just that. Like I said, the Bible is for the most part a very uplifting book. But in today's reading, it's anything but. Today we see one of the most disturbing accounts recorded in the Bible. Something that seems mind-bogglingly cruel and horrible. God calls to Abraham, his faithful, loyal, chosen servant, and he tells Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. This 
really doesn't leave you feeling refreshed and renewed. But instead, as you read through this entire account, it leaves you asking yourself, even when it's all over, how could he do such a thing? Now, the first person you ask that of is Abraham. How could Abraham walk up the mountain ready and willing to sacrifice his son? You know, it would have been one thing if God had called to Abraham at the altar while he was doing the sacrifice and said, you know what, instead, take your son, make him the sacrifice. That would have been bad enough. But look at how this actually plays out. God calls to Abraham one day and says, sacrifice your son. They get up early the next day. They travel For three days, how well do you think Abraham slept those nights? How much anguish and grief and pain do you think Abraham suffered in those days of traveling, knowing what he was intending to do? And then to finish the journey, he and his son go up together on foot. He lays on his son Isaac the wood that his son was soon to be laid on. Isaac notices something's not right, and he asks that question that must have pierced Abraham to the soul. He says, My father, behold the wood and the fire, but where is the lamb for the offering? And Abraham, holding the knife in one hand, the torch and fire in the other, probably choking back tears, replies, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And that's where we see the real pain of this account. This was not just a trusted servant. This was not just a dear friend. This was Abraham's son. His miraculous son, born to him at such a late point in Abraham's life. This was the son on whom everything rested. The promise of God, the continuation of his bloodline and his family, the very future of Abraham himself. This was Abraham's long-awaited, dearly beloved son, and he is being called to kill him. How could he not just break down in utter sorrow and die of a broken heart? How could he not turn and run and hide with his son, or at least tell Isaac, leave and never come back so that at least you can survive? How could he resolutely walk up that mountain, fully prepared to sacrifice the thing most dear to him, his one and only son? We look at what Abraham did in faith, and we honestly ask ourselves, how could he do such a thing? But it's not just Abraham that we look at and ask that question. When we consider who it was that told Abraham to do this, we ask the same thing of God. How could he do such a thing? How could God expect Abraham to give up his only son? What was the point of this whole thing? Was this just to have Abraham prove his faith and his love? I mean, God knows the hearts of all men. So he knew Abraham's level of faith and dedication. Why put him through a test like this? 
God knows all possible futures, and so he knew that Abraham would do it. Why lay that anguish and pain on his faithful servant? Why do something so very out of character by calling for human sacrifice, which is something God has proclaimed as abhorrent? Was this just to prove how big and strong God was? Was he proving to himself or to the world that his followers would do anything for him because he's just that good? Was God getting some kind of a perverse pleasure out of making Abraham do something that was so totally wrong and he knew it? Was God simply pulling Abraham's strings to see if he would dance like a good little puppet? Why would God do something so awful to Abraham? How could he do such a thing? If I'm being honest, I have to admit that I really hate this reading. As a kid, I didn't think much of it. But the more you read it, the more you actually understand what's going on, it is a truly dreadful and terrible event. The brutality of it, the cruelty, the mental and emotional anguish laid upon Abraham, it all seems so over-the-top and unnecessary. Some sort of awful test just to see how much someone can take before they crack. Abraham laying Isaac on the altar, taking the knife, fully prepared to kill his only son to prove his love? It's just too much. And it makes it all that much worse when you know that this is not some made-up morality play. This actually happened. This is real history. It is atrocious. It is horrifying. And it is downright disgusting. And because of that, I kind of get sick every time I think about this account. And that's the way it should be. If we're reading this account and we're not disgusted by it, then we are not truly grasping what's going on. If you are not sickened by the thought of what Abraham was prepared to do, then you need to go back and read it again. Because the thought of killing your only son just to prove how much you love someone, that should be an abhorrent idea. We should be sickened. We should be shocked. We should be horrified by this. But we should also be utterly grateful. Because that's exactly what God has done for us. This is the first Sunday of Lent. That long penitential season where our eyes are fixed upon the cross. And as we gaze upon the body of Jesus Christ hanging there on Golgotha, dead, we ask ourselves once again, how could he do such a thing? How could God sacrifice his own son in our place? Abraham, he didn't actually kill his son. God did. Abraham trusted all along that somehow, some way, God would either spare his son or bring him back. He says to his servants, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. Many translations make it even clearer by stating that last part as, We will come back to you. In that little statement, Abraham is professing his faith that God will restore his son to him in some way. And yes, while God knew that Jesus would rise again, his death was painful 
complete and very, very real. There was no last-second substitution, as some believe and teach. Jesus did not miraculously turn off his pain sensors so it wouldn't bother him. He even refused to drink the wine that they held up to him because that would have dulled his senses and given him a modicum of relief. Jesus experienced it all, and he did it for you. Jesus' sacrificial death was very, very real, and it was heartbreaking for his heavenly Father to give his Son, his only Son, whom he loves, over to death. And then think about how long God had to bear this horrible decision. Abraham had less than a week to contemplate what was about to happen. God had thousands of years. From the very first moments that sin entered into the world, God promised a Savior. And the cross, the death of his son, was his plan of salvation from the very beginning. It didn't catch him off guard. It didn't surprise him. From the very beginning, God planned to sacrifice Jesus Christ, his only beloved son, knowing that that was the only thing sufficient for the redemption of his sinful, fallen creation. And there's the real difference between what Abraham did and what God did. Abraham was showing love and devotion for someone he knew loved him back. Someone who had given him so much, who provided everything that he had. God was willing to give up his son for thankless sinners who hated him. God died for us while we were still dead in our sin. We had nothing to offer him. He didn't need our love or our adoration. He is God, and nothing can change that. And yet, God died for the sins of the entire world. His death, it wasn't just for those that he knew would love him. His death was for the evil, for the wicked, for the ones who reject his love and forgiveness. And even though there are those that spurn and reject his love and choose to condemn themselves and live under his wrath, God weeps over them, continually cries out to them, calls out to them constantly by his holy word. And for those who hear that word, Jesus Christ's sacrifice means absolutely everything. Just as Abraham bound Isaac on the wood of the altar, God bound his son on the wood of the cross. It wasn't just some flashy display of dedication. This was more than Vincent van Gogh cutting off his ear to show his love and devotion. In that brutal, horrible, gory death of Jesus Christ, our eternal life was won and guaranteed. All of our sins were forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. The big ones, the little ones, the ones we don't even know about. The ones that we haven't yet committed. We are set free from our slavery to sin, death, and the devil by what Jesus Christ has done for us. We are made heirs of God's kingdom, inheritors of heaven. We are made his own beloved children. All because God loved this sinful world so much that he was willing to take on our flesh, willing to walk up that mountain, willing to sacrifice his son to die in our place. How could he do such a thing? 
simply out of a divine, fatherly love that we could never reproduce or understand. When we read the account of Abraham and Isaac, we are just sickened by what happens, and we're supposed to be, because this is a horrifying, torturous ordeal. And then we realize this is what our Lord went through for us. The pain and the anguish and the trauma that Abraham felt, that we feel as we read it, it pales in comparison to the price that our Lord paid to redeem us. But out of love, he willingly did it all. Out of love, he laid his only beloved son on the wood of the cross and died as a sacrifice for our sins. Out of love, he rose again on Easter to give us the eternal victory and the promise of everlasting life in heaven. And because he did, we are now his children. We have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, and we have been given his purity and holiness. How could he do such a thing? Who can say? But thanks be to God that he has. Because by that sacrifice... By the cross and the empty tomb of his only begotten Son, you are forgiven of all of your sin, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.